0: Good morning. The story of Miriam may not sound like a favorite campfire story, but when Graham sent out the invitation to speak, it's the story that came to my mind. Last summer, I had the opportunity to travel to Zambia, Africa, to be part of a women's conference, and one of the teachings that fell to me was the story of Miriam. It resonated with the ladies in Zambia, and it resonates with me here in Canada, and that's what I love about God's Word. It's so down to earth, so applicable, no matter the continent on which you may reside or the generation into which you were born. It's about real people like me who struggled in the same ways that I do today. But more than those real people with whom I track, the Bible is about the God of hope who loves us in our brokenness and loves us out of our brokenness in such practical and personal ways and that's why I find the story of Miriam so encouraging. Human nature is still as ugly today as it was when God had His words written down. It still produces the same dead fruit in each of us as it did a thousand, two thousand, four thousand years ago. The flesh, human nature, has not changed. But our hope is that neither has God's character changed nor the truth in his word. Miriam to me is a real life example of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of truth which is my true identity as a child of God or conversely what it looks like to live in the realm of lies which is my past identity. I find my own life mirrors hers. I can choose truth and that has to be an intentional choice or I can choose lies which sadly is my default. One brings life, the other death. Here are some bits of Miriam's life that we know. As a young girl, she played an integral role in saving her little brother's life. Miriam watched the steadfast faith of her parents as they walked it out and demonstrated it in their family in refusing the Pharaoh's edict of male infanticide Here's how the story goes as we read it in Exodus 1 and 2. When she, Moses' mother, saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. It makes me wonder, what was Miriam thinking? as she stood by and watched. Was her young heart silently crying at this possible wrenching loss? I've had my own 13 and 14 year old students come up to me with joy and excitement as they speak about the impending birth of a sibling. And so I wonder, did Miriam experience that same kind of excitement when her baby brother was born? Was she now anxious and mourning the loss of a baby brother? Or was she watching with expectation knowing that just as her parents had been trusting in their God to protect them as a family, so too she could trust Yahweh to take care of her little little baby brother in that moment. We know from reading this bit of history in Exodus that God certainly did take care of Moses, her baby brother, in a most delightful way, and Miriam herself had the joy of being an integral part of that story. She was the one who ran back to her mom, introduced her mom to Pharaoh's daughter, and watched her little baby brother actually being brought back home, albeit only for a few short years. We see from the history that God made sure was written down that Miriam personally experienced God, the God of her parents, the God of her people. Miriam had history with her God, and it went all the way back to her childhood. I wonder, did Miriam miss her baby brother terribly when he was eventually taken to Pharaoh's house? Did she ever wonder if she would see him again? Did she dream that maybe one day, because of Moses' unique position as an Israelite, growing up in the world of Egyptian royalty, that God would use him in a unique way to bring about their people's freedom? We don't know if she had these wonderings, but we do know that she did that. That Miriam did watch Moses come back to rescue her people, and I can't help but believe that she watched with joy and amazement. This little baby brother that she had had a part in rescuing was now rescuing her and the rest of their people. That's a God story, one that only He could have orchestrated. And it started with trust, the trust that she saw her parents walking out in a very practical and real way as a child. We know that Miriam herself was a leader. She was a prophetess. When the God of Israel rescued his people from the power and control of the Egyptians at the Red Sea, she was one who led in praise and worship. And we read this in Exodus 15. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, the horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Miriam was a proclaimer and a celebrator of God's truth. She was an influencer. And in fact, speaking to the Israelites many years later, God himself recognized Miriam as a leader. He said to the Israelites in Micah 6, 4, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So God was the initiator of Miriam's gifting as a leader. But all of us in our giftings need God. After all, it's his fruit in us not our own. It's the Holy Spirit who produces in us life to give to others and that life can never come from our corrupted flesh. And here's where Miriam's story takes a sad turn. We find her again in Numbers 12 in a not so happy situation. She is no longer worshiping or praising. She has allowed herself to be drawn into the confusion and bitterness of the kingdom of lies, an identity that was not hers to walk in. The thoughts brooding in her heart and mind spilled out in bitter accusation against her very own brother, the little brother whom she had once adored and had a part in saving. We read the words spoken by her and Aaron in verse two. They said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? Miriam here appears jealous. She smears her brother's character with her own bitterness. And yet we know the truth about Moses. God tells us in this same chapter, Numbers 12, verse three, that Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And God made sure that an example of this humility was recorded for us in chapter 11, the chapter prior. In this chapter, Joshua, Moses' apprentice, was alarmed that two men who had been chosen to be elders and help Moses had stayed behind and were prophesying in the camp by themselves, rather than gathering with the rest of the chosen elders at the tent of meeting, where God had told this group of 70 to meet on this particular day. And here's what Moses said to Joshua when he was so alarmed. Verse 29, he said, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them, And so we see Moses was not power hungry nor self-centered. He walked honestly and humbly with his God, but for some reason Miriam had become bitter and what was inside her heart came spilling out. In my mind, and perhaps I see it this way because I'm such a visual learner, God left Miriam and us with a very visible reminder of the consequences of our thoughts when they are left to wander unchecked in the kingdom and darkness of lies. And that visual aid, as we're going to see, was leprosy. In Numbers 12, God clearly tells us that he heard Miriam's words and he was not pleased. So he called a meeting with the siblings, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. They met God outside the camp at the tent of meeting. And we're told in verses 9 and 10 that when God departed, Miriam was leprous. Here's the visual aid. Sin, in a very literal sense, like an infection or a flesh-eating disease, eats away at us, leaving us unhealthy and through us infecting others and being a detriment to the growth of others. Miriam's bitterness, the thoughts that were left to brood in the secret places of her heart and her mind, first infected her, and then they infected Aaron, and then, as we're going to see, eventually, they affected the whole Israelite population. Miriam, because of the health regulations that God had instructed, had to stay outside the camp and be isolated from her community for a week because of this disease of leprosy. She was placed in quarantine in a very public way. The Israelite community must have been aware that they could not travel on because of Miriam. Verse 15 tells us, Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. When God departed from the tent of meeting with that, from the meeting with the siblings at the tent of meeting. And Aaron turned and saw his sister. We're told that he was alarmed and he asked Moses to pray. And I find it fascinating that Moses simply prayed at Aaron's request and he did so without holding a grudge. And of course, God was gracious. He healed Miriam, though she still suffered the consequences and was given a quiet week of isolation and perhaps even that week of isolation was a part of God's grace a time to process to spend time with her God and to grow as I read Miriam's story and I think about her wilderness wanderings I'm reminded of several things several thoughts that are all intertwined I'm reminded of the ugliness of my sin and my sinful nature and I'm reminded of how infectious sin can be and my sinful nature can be i'm reminded of the truth of proverbs 4:23, which says watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life jesus in matthew 12 worded it like this verse 34 for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart And then he worded it in a bit of a different way in Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19, where he says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, slanders, and the list goes on. What's inside of us, what's inside of me is going to spill out in one way or another. Miriam, and her wilderness wanderings remind me of the graciousness of my God. When Jesus walked this earth, God, in human flesh, touched leprosy. God, through the person of Jesus Christ, touched that which was infectious, dirty, repelling. And in the same way, today, he lets me bring my leprosy, my ugliness, my brokenness to him. And he says to me, if you let me, I'll take care of it. Remember the blind beggar Bartimaeus? We read about him in Mark 10 verses 46 to 52. Jesus knew that this blind man that was yelling at him was blind. He knew why this blind rejected from society man was calling out to him. But Jesus responded in a way that God often does by asking a question. Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? And when the blind man simply said, I want to regain my sight, Jesus responded with, go, your faith has made you well. It was the man's turning to Jesus and speaking his trust in him that healed him. And that intentional choice of turning to look at Jesus and speaking his trust in Jesus that reminds me of the next lesson gleaned from Miriam's wilderness wanderings, and it's this the mystery of Christ in me, the hope of glory, as we read as we read it in Colossians one twenty-seven. Truth be told, sometimes I have to bring my ugliness, my brokenness, my leprosy, to my Savior many times a day, many times a week. If I consistently run to him, if I consistently make the choice to turn and speak my trust in him, he is faithful somehow to mysteriously heal. I'm reminded through Miriam's story and her brokenness of the importance of God's word in my life. It proves over and over to be the ammunition to the fiery darts that chase me, whether those darts originate from within, from my own sinful nature or from outside me, from the enemy and the accuser of my soul, Satan. You know, both the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, give us pictures of the intimacy with which we are to engage God's word. And really, when you think about it, can we live any other way when Jesus is the word, who dwelt among us and now lives within us through the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah says to God in in chapter 15, verse 16, "'Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart.' And to Ezekiel, God said, "'Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you.' For both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God's words became part of the very fiber of their beings. They digested God's words and his words became a part of who they were as individuals. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel speak about the effect of God's words. For Jeremiah, God's words became his joy and his delight. And for Ezekiel, God's words tasted to him as sweet as honey. Miriam's wilderness wanderings remind me that my flesh My sinful, rotting nature produces only death, but God's word and his spirit within me produce life. Miriam's wilderness wanderings remind me of God's words to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4.6. That change does not come by my might or by my own power, but rather change comes by his spirit, by the hope that lives within me. I'm just going to end by reading the words of a song that I recently heard titled Praise the Savior by City Alight. And the words to me just sum up some of the lessons that I learned from Miriam. It reads like this. All my sin was so contagious. All my failings so outrageous. Says the Savior, I will pay this. Praise the Savior, Jesus. I was lost once, full of hate then. If he left us, who could blame him? Says the Savior, I will claim them. Praise the Savior, Jesus. Such a freedom, who could earn this? Who could pay for this forgiveness? Says the Savior, it is finished. Praise the Savior, Jesus. Now the treasure of my whole life, I will stand soon by your own side, says the Savior. Welcome home, child. Praise the Savior, Jesus.